0: Episode 23. After several episodes in which the author has been content simply to relay incidents and anecdotes of suffering and distress, here now he draws a breath and offers his personal reflections about the experience of Londoners at the height of the plague. I believe that some of the most moving passages in the journal are to be found in this episode. He speaks of the way in which, at the most extreme hour, the populace became heedless of the differences among them, or the things they fought over so vigorously. And because they anticipated death coming at any moment, thronged together in their churches regardless of who was preaching, quote, as if their lives were of no consequence compared to the work which they came about there, unquote. And he is eloquent in expressing the way the imminence of death removes all animosity and petty strife. But the author is no sentimentalist, He's only a faithful recorder of what he observed, and he knows that this mood, which he says possessed the city for several weeks in the late summer of the year, cannot be sustained, and that a true transformation of the human heart has not yet occurred. But I must still speak of the plague as in its height, ravaging even to desolation, and the people under the most dreadful consternation, even, as I have said, to despair. It is hardly credible to what excess the passions of men carried them in this extremity of the distemper, and this part, I think, was as moving as the rest. What could affect a man in his full power of reflection, and what could make deeper impressions on the soul, than to see a man almost naked and got out of his house, or perhaps out of his bed, into the street, come out of Harrow Alley, a populous conjunction or collection of alleys, courts, and passages in the butcher row in Whitechapel, I say, what could be more affecting than to see this poor man come out into the open street, run dancing and singing and making a thousand antic gestures, with five or six women and children running after him, crying and calling upon him for the Lord's sake to come back, and entreating the help of others to bring him back, but all in vain, nobody daring to lay a hand upon him or to come near him. This was a most grievous and afflicting thing to me, who saw it all from my own windows. For all this while the poor afflicted man was, as I observed it, even then in the utmost agony of pain, having, as they said, Two swellings upon him, which could not be brought to break or to superate, but by laying strong caustics on them, the surgeons had it seems hopes to break them, which caustics were then upon him, burning his flesh as with a hot iron. I cannot say what became of this poor man, but I think he continued roving about in that manner till he fell down and died. No wonder the aspect of the city itself was frightful. The usual concourse of people in the streets, and which used to be supplied from our end of town, was abated. The exchange was not kept shut, indeed, but it was no more frequented. The fires were lost. They had been almost extinguished for some days by a very smart and hasty rain. But that was not all. Some of the physicians insisted that they were not only no benefit, but injurious to the health of people. This they made a loud clamor about. And complained to the Lord Mayor about it. On the other hand, others of the same faculty, and eminent too, opposed them, and gave their reasons why the fires were, and must be, useful to assuage the violence of the distemper. I cannot give a full account of the arguments on both sides, only this I remember, that they cavilled very much with one another. Some were for fires, but that they must be made of wood, and not coal and of particular sorts of wood, too, such as fir in particular, or cedar, because of the strong effluvia of turpentine. Others were for coal and not wood, because of the sulphur and bitumen, and others were for neither one or other. Upon the whole, the Lord Mayor ordered no more fires, and especially on this account, namely, that the plague was so fierce that they saw evidently it defied all means, and rather seemed to increase than decrease upon any application to check and abate it. And yet this amazement of the magistrates proceeded rather from want of being able to apply any means successfully than from any unwillingness either to expose themselves or undertake the care and weight of business. For, to do them justice, they neither spared their pains nor their persons. But nothing answered. The infection raged, and the people were now frightened and terrified to the last degree, so that, as I may say, they gave themselves up, and, as I mentioned above, abandoned themselves to their despair. But let me observe here that, when I say the people abandoned themselves to despair, I do not mean to what men call a religious despair, or a despair of their eternal state, but I mean a despair of their being able to escape the infection, or to outlive the plague, which they saw was so raging and so irresistible in its force that indeed few people that were touched with it in its height, about August and September, escaped. And, which is very particular, contrary to its ordinary operation in June and July, and the beginning of August, when, as I have observed, many were infected and continued so many days, and then went off after having had the poison in their blood a long time. But now, on the contrary, Most of the people who were taken during the last two weeks in August, and in the first three weeks in September, generally died in two or three days at the furthest, and many the very same day they were taken. Whether the dog days, or, as our astrologers pretended to express themselves, the influence of the dog star had that malignant effect, or all those who had the seeds of infection before in them brought it up to maturity at that time altogether, I know not but this was the time when it was reported that above 3,000 people died in one night, and they that would have us believe they more critically observed it, pretend to say that they all died within the space of two hours, that is, between the hours of one and three in the morning. As to the suddenness of people's dying at this time, more than before, there were innumerable instances of it, and I could name several in my own neighborhood. One family without the bars, and not far from me, were all seemingly well on the Monday, being ten in family. That evening one maid and one apprentice were taken ill and died the next morning, when the other apprentice and two children were touched, whereof one died the same evening and the other two on Wednesday. In a word, by Saturday at noon the master, mistress, four children, and four servants were all gone, and the house left entirely empty except an ancient woman who came in to take charge of the goods for the master of the family's brother, who lived not far off, and who had not been sick. Many houses were then left desolate, all the people being carried away dead, and especially in an alley further on the same side beyond the bars, going in at the sign of Moses and Aaron, there were several houses together, which, they said, had not one person left alive in them and some that died last in several of those houses were left a little too long before they were fetched out to be buried, the reason of which was not, as some have written very untruly, that the living were not sufficient to bury the dead, but that the mortality was so great in the yard or alley that there was no one left to give notice to the barriers or sextons that there were any dead bodies there to be buried. It was said, how true I do not know, that some of those bodies were so much corrupted, and so rotten, that it was with difficulty they were carried, and as the carts could not come any nearer than to the alley gate in the high street, it was so much the more difficult to bring them along. But I am not certain how many bodies were then left. I am sure that ordinarily it was not so. As I have mentioned how the people were brought into a condition to despair of life and abandon themselves, so this very thing had a strange effect among us for three or four weeks. That is, it made them bold and venturous. They were no more shy of one another, or restrained within doors, but went anywhere and everywhere, and began to converse. One would say to another, I do not ask you how you are, or say how I am. It is certain we shall all go. So tis no matter who is all sick, or who is sound." And so they ran desperately into any place or company. As it brought the people into public company, so it was surprising how it brought them to crowd into the churches. They inquired no more with whom they sat near to or far from, what offensive smells they met with, or what condition the people seemed to be in, but, looking upon themselves all as so many dead corpses, they came to the churches without the least caution and crowded together as if their lives were of no consequence compared to the work which they came about there. Indeed, the zeal which they showed in coming, and the earnestness and affection they showed in their attention to what they heard, made it manifest what a value people would all put upon the worship of God if they thought every day they attended at the church that it would be their last. Nor was it without other strange effects, for it took away all manner of prejudice at or scruple about the person whom they found in the pulpit when they came to the churches. It cannot be doubted but that many of the ministers of the parish churches were cut off, among others, in so common and dreadful a calamity, and others had not courage enough to stand it, but removed into the country as they found means for escape, As then some parish churches were quite vacant and forsaken, the people made no scruple of desiring such dissenters as had been a few years before deprived of their livings, by virtue of the act of parliament called the Act of Uniformity, to preach in the churches; nor did the church ministers in that case make any difficulty of accepting their assistance; so that many of those whom they called silenced ministers had their mouths opened on this occasion, and preached publicly to the people. Here we may observe, and I hope it will not be amiss to take notice of it, that a near view of death would soon reconcile men of good principles one to another, and that it is chiefly owing to our easy situation in life, and our putting these things far from us, that our breaches are fomented, ill blood continued, prejudices, breach of charity and of Christian union, so much kept and so far carried on among us as is. Another plague year would reconcile all these differences. A close conversing with death, or with diseases that threaten death, would scum off the gall from our tempers, remove the animosities among us, and bring us to see with differing eyes than those which we looked on things with before. As the people who had been used to join with the Church were reconciled at this time with the admitting the dissenters to preach to them, so the dissenters, who with an uncommon prejudice had broken off from the communion of the Church of England, were now content to come to their parish churches and to conform to the worship which they did not approve of before. But as the terror of the infection abated, those things all returned again to their less desirable channel and to the course they were in before. I mention this but historically. I have no mind to enter into arguments to move either or both sides into a more charitable compliance one with another. I do not see that it is probable such a discourse would be either suitable or successful. The breaches seem rather to widen, and tend to a widening further than to closing. And who am I that I should think myself able to influence either one side or other? But this I may repeat again, that tis evident death will reconcile us all, on the other side, the grave, we shall all be brethren again. In heaven, whither I hope we may come from all parties and persuasions, we shall find neither prejudice or scruple. There we shall be of one principle and of one opinion. Why we cannot be content to go hand in hand to the place where we shall join heart and hand without the least hesitation, and with the most complete harmony and affection, I say, why we cannot do so here, I can say nothing to, neither shall I say anything more of it, but that it remains to be lamented. I could dwell a great while upon the calamities of this dreadful time, and go on to describe the objects that appeared among us every day, the dreadful extravagancies which the distraction of sick people drove them into, how the streets began now to be fuller of frightful objects, and families to be made even a terror to themselves, But after I have told you, as I have above, that one man, being tied in his bed, and finding no other way to deliver himself, set the bed on fire with his candle, which unhappily stood within his reach, and burnt himself in his bed, and how another, by the insufferable torment he bore, danced and sung naked in the streets, not knowing one ecstasy from another, I say, after I have mentioned these things, what can be added more? What can be said to represent the misery of these times more lively to the reader or to give him a more perfect idea of a complicated distress?